Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is episode 111 of the Distraction Pieces podcast with Mr. Brendan Burns. Um, a lot of people requested this and we, oh, I mean, I feel in my intros I'm just I'm repeating myself a lot recently, but I mean, we talk about this in the episode, but a lot of people requested it because Brendan has a podcast as well. And a lot of people compared it and felt that we'd be good friends and would get on well and would enjoy each other's company and work and they were darned right so yeah it was great to hook up i should mention that all these podcasts are brought to you by speechdevelopmentrecords.com that's my little label if you head there there's loads of there's loads of delightful stuff so hopefully you'll enjoy that obviously i can't not mention the reaction to the book and the book tour my word it has been overwhelming um Thank you all so much. I mean, first of all, there was this 10-day book tour and unexpectedly every date sold out. I met thousands of you. I drove thousands of miles, but it was all worth it and I got to hang out with 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 tons of you and meet you and sign stuff and all the pictures that were posted on Instagram and that were just amazing. And then it ended on Friday in my hometown of Stanford Lee Hope, a library that my mum took me to as a child and then worked in and is now kind of in charge of Um, so that was emotional in itself and then I wake up on Saturday morning to find that you crazy lot have got the distraction pieces book to number three in the times bestseller chart for non-fiction hardback which is just mind-blowing completely above any expectation that any of us had so thank you so much for that and if you haven't grabbed a copy yet feel free to people ask me a lot where's best to order it from or where's best for me i i I honestly don't care it's wherever is best for you amazon is currently on offer so it's cheapest to amazon and that goes towards the chart it's available from my web store obviously but that doesn't go towards the chart i might get a few extra pounds from that but i don't really care about the the financial side of this i'm proud of this book so yeah thank you very much and thank you huge thanks to everyone involved at octopus so to hannah and karen and matt and everyone else who has helped out on the the craziness of the book tour that was exhausting and um, everything else in fact speaking of thanks i've got to give thanks and love and a shout out to jake brett who runs the social media for the distraction piece podcast but also happens to be an amazing musician and he's got um a new album on its way um it's jake brett and the Boleen a modifier x um he's, he's doing these expert excerpts and they're fantastic so if you just google that jake, uh, J- jake brett spelt as you'd imagine and the bowling b-o-l-e-e-n modifier as said there's been excerpt one excerpt two excerpt three excerpt four and these they're these little mini videos all building towards the album coming out um at the beginning of, of september so check that out if you get a moment um the dude's good and what else yeah um I should mention that you can um, stream Brendan's a new special. It's up for free for the next few months um, until a new streaming service buys it in October. So head to his his YouTube. It's well worth a look. You will delight in it. We discuss it a bit in this. I mean, we discuss so much in this. It's called the the. It's on YouTube. Brendan Burns selfies in the Grand Canyon. Check it out. It's free. You will enjoy it, but most importantly, check out this podcast that's about to happen right now. This piece of fiction is the intro to the structure. This piece of fiction is the intro to the structure. This piece of fiction is the intro to the structure. This piece of fiction is the intro to the structure. It's what I like about Amara Ranello on on the commentary team now on uh, on smackdown i think it is cuz he he's got every move he knows the name for he every move everything. and i'm just absolutely cl- clueless on well, it also like, for the oh, first wicked, i'm learning here for the first time they've started acknowledging stuff that people have done outside it's like crazy, last night they called it Bella club they they still I won't seem to refer to, to tna at all no. i don't know if they still see them as a, a legitimate rival but it's bizarre everything else they'll refer to new japan they'll refer to to stuff all over the world, but, but they say he's been somewhere. Yeah, yeah. They talk about it he's like been it's successful the world all over the world or in other in other divisions. I've I've, I've started recording 
Have because you, why not? We were mid-conversation on, well, not on only wrestling. That, it's, uh, so have you actively not listened to me? Yes. Me too. That's what I was going to say. Cause, I'm fighting the parallel thinking. Um, or people have said that, that, that our podcast would work together. That'd be a, a similar. So I thought, again, when we were discussing doing this, we said, let's, let's kind of not over-research in that way because it's like, well, you know, it's... Well, also, it's there's a slight pressure isn't there whenever anyone messages you so twitter can now leave us alone yeah we're in the same room yeah we don't know each other (laughs) uh but there's a fear of a parallel thinking and b then there's a massive pressure that when everyone thinks you're going to get on amazingly experience dictates you either get on amazingly yeah or you hate each other's guts yeah but also i mean it's 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 also that weird paranoia of anything you're doing that, the being that you were doing naturally that yes. someone else is doing, then you start being paranoid about, oh, everyone's going to think well, paral- I'm copying their I, style exactly. or so on and so forth. Like, no, that's what we were doing. Exists. Yeah, exactly. I've like- got, as I start each podcast, I do my intros as, as separately and I've started it on here and when I had a, a radio show at XFM, I start with a welcome, welcome, welcome. That's always just been what I start with. Now, I'm a big fan of um, a last week tonight with John Oliver. All right. It's a great show. He He opens with that. I don't know if I was doing it before I ever watched it. I think I was, because I think my show predates that. But there's now that paranoia. It's like, people will will tweet me about it all the time. And I'm like, I don't want to say I didn't steal it from there, because I might have. It wasn't conscious. There's a generational thing, definitely, of... (laughs) You look how many kids think it's left field to mention Unicorn. Yeah, yeah. Out of the blue. And it's because there's an entire generation... I don't know, how how old are you? Um, I'm 35, or about to turn 35. So you're just past millennial. Yeah. So you've managed to dodge that bullet. Yeah, yeah. But... You see how many kids say unicorn and think that's random. Yeah, yeah. And left field, like Deadpool did it as well. Like, oh, this is so random. No, it really isn't because you are unconsciously absorbing content more than any other generation ever has. Yeah. That you regurgitate confusing it with an original thought. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I know I sound like a million saying that. No, no. But anytime, no, I I like see, anytime I see a kid make a unicorn reference and then there's a bunch of 20-somethings that laugh for no reason other than someone has said unicorn. Yeah. Part of me is slightly worried there's going to be a big siren that goes off one day and they're all going to fucking kill us. Yeah, yeah. Again, I mean... And, <laughs> I think but, they're being hypnotised. But beautifully, it comes... We're coming back round to wrestling. If, is You know something isn't counterculture when it suddenly becomes in wrestling and the New Day and their unicorn horns and stuff yep. like that. It's like a wrestling has always been a massive fan of finding what's cool and counterculture but they're about and eight stopping years. it being cool and counterculture going well, it's now mainstream five Hello. years behind eight years behind the curve yeah. like everyone always wonders I mean they're also like that with with racism and <laughs> race relations and, and stuff like that they will they do love going so who are we at war with let's get someone to be yeah. a, a Saudi wrestler and then have everyone chant USA and it'll be like well, let's ah, list our parallels then. Cool. So it's obsessed with wrestling. <laughs> yes. And my show, Dumb White Guy, is about, I speak to comedians of different ethnicity, sexuality, and Brilliant. gender. Perfect. But it's all it's all about racial awkwardness. Yeah. But it goes after liberal pretension and outright bigotry in equal measure. It's yeah. funny how we bring up the parallel yeah, thinking. Yeah, yeah, There's something that's- I've not even introduced you- Oh, by the way, I'm here with Brendan Burns. In case, <laughs> in case anyone's wondering, I'm here with well, Brendan Burns. I'm here with Scroobius Pip, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> and uh, let's address that as well. Scroobius Pip, how yeah. do you how do you get that name? Um, I stole it from an Edward Lear poem. And thank God, but because I, I was about to say, you're a slam poet. Um, I, I started off doing spoken word and stuff like that. It's, right. it's, it's annoying because it's it's another a similar one. Slam poetry has become this thing. Yeah, I've 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 been in two slams in my life. Yeah, everyone's like successful slam poet. I don't think I won either of them. It's, <laughs> I happen to be into slams at some point. But Well, I imagine everyone listening to this is obviously more than familiar with you. Am I asking questions that are a moot point? No, no, no. It's always... I, I find, again, I always... Like, like the way the name came from thing, I always... I like that. I did a Chris Jericho's a podcast recently. I did... Did you? I did Talk Is Jericho after he was on here. Right. Now, when he does line reading... Oh, you know I when Stone it. Cold does line reading? Yeah. You believe him. Yeah. When Jericho, Chris Jericho is a wrestler, he has a podcast, he has a massive, uh, let's say, hair metal band crossover. Yeah. Yeah. So he's got yeah. the hair metal fans yeah. and, the, and the wrestling fans. And uh, there's something about when he does an advert, I don't believe him. The, it's, it's, it's one of the things I love 
the most about and I've, I've I've mocked him for this on on Tuesday night jaw the wrestling podcast on on the network they talk a lot about my love of Jericho's um, in ring abuse and stuff like that of calling people a stupid idiot and it being clearly false but entertaining but I love his ad reads because you can clearly hear it was recorded at a separate time yeah but it'll start one we're going haha that's great Mark and. What I'd also like to talk to you about is this, but before that, it's like it's clearly it's different sound. It's a, it's clearly been wedged in in the middle of a, a cut up interview, and it just slays <laughs> me because it is just so. Well, when Stone Cold, because Stone Cold also has that much money, he can pick his sponsors. Yeah, yeah. So when Stone Cold, you hear the first couple of episodes. How long have you been podcasting now? Um, I've been podcasting for almost t- two years now, but I've been a fan of podcasts for. for for years, I listened to all of Stone Cold's. I listened to. It's the only place where nuance is left anymore. Don't yeah. you think? Where yeah. I think we now live in times where either everything is racist or yeah. racism doesn't exist. Yeah, and I think it's the only time because we are in people's personal lives, and here we are at uh, Capital Yeah Studios. Well, talk about a dying medium. Did you walk downstairs? Yeah. Like XFM has got the whole top floor. Yeah, but down beneath it. There's only one studio for Hard FM. There's only yeah. one studio for Capital. There's only one studio for. It's a tough one, man. It's all all. Struggling, but I think the reason also, podcasting is ideal f- f- for nuances is twofold. Number one, you've got the time to go into to detail on stuff. It's not this quick. Here's my view, and no time to go go back and forth and quantify and things like that. But equally, you're listening because you want to listen. Yeah, you've chosen to, to listen to that on radio. You might have been listening to the previous show, or you might just have it on in your car, or it might be on in the shop or whatever else. On podcast, you're you're listening because you've, you've made a choice to listen. Yeah. So it 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 it's it generally has that openness and people who are more up for right. Let's hear this. I've got the time. I'm putting it aside. And again, in general, I listen to podcasts when I've got time to as well. I, I, I don't put them on as a background thing as such. I'll listen when I can take it in properly. So yes, yeah. I think also like it's less of people needing to feel what they already think confirmed. Yeah. Like every time there are some like really I would call far left podcasts that like This American Life, Lindy West. Yeah, yeah. yeah. She did this thing about fat shaming. Right. And I was like, there's a little bit of victimhood here. Come on. Yeah. But then she addresses it and there was also a woman that (laughs) – but she's got time to address it. She's got time to address your critical thinking. Yeah. And 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 I don't think – but people have to have the awareness to address that as well, yes. which is key in, in, in the good podcast when they're like, here's my view. Now, I know why you're going to think. Do you know what I mean? I know she, she knew why you were going. Feels yeah. a bit like it. So, and then and then quantifies There's and a self-awareness it. there yeah. because I think also podcasting, it takes you like my first couple of episodes are unlistenable. Yeah. Dreadful. Yeah. But it took me <laughs> a while to learn that people were actually listening to me. Yeah. Because usually, I think, like, people get into podcasting now almost like the way they used to get into stand-up. Yeah. Which is why open micers, you'd always hear them saying, I just split up with my boyfriend or I just split up with my girlfriend. Yeah. It's usually after something horrible has happened and you've reached, like, a crisis point (laughs) and you're like, you don't care what anyone thinks of you anymore. Yeah. And it's an act of desperation. So everyone's first episodes, like, right back to Mark Maron, are, I don't want help! (laughs) Ah! <laughs> or, or Mark is still one that I, I I can only take a certain amount. I get like a PTSD if I have too many episodes of of Mark Maron because it's so intense. You think it's, yeah. it's still that? It's still it's got that real. I love it. I think it's amazing, but it's so it's always so f- full on and and so in depth. But What's that? that's the beauty I, of it. Right? I, so we've gone uh, we've gone off track a bit. Yeah, here, we? Let's go back to so the slam poetry. Work. Right. So the spoken word guy. So, so yeah. you speak fast on stage, yeah? Yeah. And yeah. You, you have a stammer in real life. Yeah, exactly. That's the kind of is that how you got thing. into it? Um, no, not really. And it's 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 I I feel guilty at points because people will hit me up who've got stutters and they'll say it's it's inspiring that you do a podcast and stuff that you choose to speak. And I wish I was brave and bold about it. I just forget a lot. It's, it's, it's like I generally I've got to the point in my life where I'm comfortable with it and I see it as kind of an accent as much as anything. Do you know what I mean? So yeah. when I accepted a, a job at XFM a years ago and had a radio show here, I'd also saw people saying, that's so brave to do this. I was like, right, I hadn't thought about it until now. Now I'm, now I'm panicking about it. They offered me it. I was like, wicked, let's do this. 
So, oh shit! Oh, I'm sorry to bring it up. I didn't no, it's no, it's, it's not from at all. I think I stammer on my podcast too, but yeah. also because you're not you don't do a lot of thinking when you're talking. Yeah, I desperately don't want to present a better version of myself than yeah. the one that exists. Completely, I, I don't allow any is... editing and and stuff like that. And and and, and same on the radio show. The, the guy who set me up today was my producer on the beatdown, which which was my show at XFM. And in the first pilot, because it was pre-recorded, I just had to say to him, I was like, look, if I stutter. It's fine. I yeah. just leave it in. If I, if it's really bad, you're you're welcome. To say maybe have another try. Like it's, <laughs> this is pre-recorded. You know we can do that better. But <laughs> we never re-recorded any of them, and it's just yeah, it's just. And yet, when you get on stage, you like the sca- you know the scat man. You remember that? Yeah, He had a massive, massive stammer. Yeah, it's it's crazy. It's weird. There's um, I did a a video because someone taught me, and it shows how we don't understand the brain because it is all a lot of it is is rhythmic. And I've got, I've shown a thing where if, if you tap out the syllables, then yep. most people who've got a stammer don't stammer or, or stutter or or whichever. And that was just amazing. I got Daniel Kitson a joke about that. Yeah. Because oh, really? they said, tap under, when you go on a date, tap under yeah. the syllables out. And yeah. I said, well, that means you're on a first date and you're under the table looking yeah, like you're jerking just, off. Yeah, yeah. That's not, that's not the best look, is it? <laughs> uh, well, I mean, listen, I feel that it's now. Are turning into all talking about me, which isn't the case and isn't the point. Um, well, that's my force of habit but, now, of course. But, but back to me. Um, in <laughs> in 1998, I was at Reading Festival and I was staying there with um, a girl that I was kind of into and she, she was camping next to me. And the first day, as a surprise, her boyfriend turned up. I didn't know she had a boyfriend, so I was then camping next to the girl I liked and her boyfriend. T- oh. t- 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 tents are thin. Glass so you hear and everything at Reading, Reading and Leeds. So I got up and I spent most of the day just off on my own watching stuff. And one of the things I watched was you in the comedy tent. I think it was ninety eight on or ninety nine. So I would have been high. Yeah, yeah, pr- I probably. And I absolutely, I loved it and became a fan then because it was shambolic and manic and furious <laughs> and angry and intense. And yeah, I absolutely ad- ad- adored it. So uh, when did you kind of get into stand up and uh, age of nine. Age of nine. Right. Uh, and, and what uh, were you into? I saw Flip Wilson. Never heard of Black Flip American Wilson. comedian. Right. Wow. And uh, I even address it in my, uh, I think, second special. So yeah. I suppose this is offensive now. <laughs> Available free on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, Brendan Burns comedy. And uh, he walked out, and uh, I take it this is a show that everyone trusts me with context. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it's an all white room. Yeah. Uh, I'm from Perth, Western Australia. I'd never yeah. really seen a black American guy before. Yeah. All white room, Texas, 1980, Stetson hats. My folks snuck me in through the back because they this cab driver knew the guy that ran the restaurant. It was back when they used to have comedy shows in restaurants. Yeah. And he has a band, a brass band. Amazing. And he walks out in a, ta- uh, in, in a tux. And Flip Wilson, F-L-I-P, not Philip. If you uh, look at your history, he's the guy that kind of addressed race on TV, a black, first a black American comic before Pryor. Right, wow. He was the precursor to Pryor. Yeah. And he walks out on stage to an all-white room and his, all, uh, and his white all-white band and his white band leader looking like a million bucks and his opening line is, does your daddy know you work for a nigger? It'd kill him. <laughs> right? And there's this silence in the room and then there's this hang time and then – because you can almost feel I wasn't good academically, yeah. right? I wasn't a good student. I wasn't good at maths, whatever. But I was like at nine years of age, I understood this moment better than most. Yeah. In that I could see people reading the subtext of the joke. I didn't know what subtext meant at that time. Yeah. Of course, I was only nine. But there was a hang time and I knew in that moment everyone was wondering who the butt of the joke was. Yeah. And then when they realized it was them and their received racism, there was a bah, release, yeah. a release yeah. in yeah. the laugh. So I've always, my favourite moments on stage are the the jokes that have that hang time where the people have to sit there and ponder who the butt of the joke is and then they realise the target was actually their dilemma. Yeah, yeah. Those jokes are few and far between. Yeah. It's, but it's, that moment. It's an amazing intensity and, and, yeah. Well, we're all control freaks. Yeah. Right? And in that moment, in that... <gasps> Gasp of air. Yeah. That's really the only time that I'm 100% in control. Yeah. That I actually, my choice to pull back and reveal, I can do that anytime I want. 
and that means that the whole room is under a spell it's, it's, until I snap them out of it. It's a tightrope with stuff like that, though, right? And and yeah. and, and and having as, as seen you a, f- a, f- a few times over the years, it's and I'd, I'd imagine particularly with a festival crowds and stuff like that, where then they're not necessarily already your audience or aware of as you said, that trust that you're going somewhere right and things like that. So the, White crowds the, are the toughest. There's that risk of if you say something that, that, that causes them to have to have those thoughts or make those decisions, then yeah. they're not going to get to the end result that is intended, if that makes sense. Yes. Do you know what I mean? There's that risk that they're not going to get there and they're just going to go... Well, oh, not only that, this accent this? doesn't help in this country. Yeah. This accent definitely uh, comes with a presumption that I'm less educated, that, yeah. I'm, that I'm not as smart as or uh, that I'm a bigot, or that I'm not as worldly. Which is a small irony, because I'm on the international scene. I'm in a different country. And I spend more time actively being the ethnic minority in the room than most comedians do. That's, again, I think that's how we got together. That's largely what... The sets that I put up on the show are always when I'm uh, in a different country or I'm the ethnic minority in the room, because I do believe white Britain, A, has a presumption of a monopoly on a sense of humour. Yeah. Um, it does bug me whenever like people talk about the great British sense of humour. Yeah. And then you ask them why. And it's, it's, it's our ability to laugh at ourselves. And I'm like, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you. That is so covertly bigoted. Because yeah. if you go to India, you'd better have some jokes about Indians. Yeah, yeah. If you go to Africa, if you like, you honestly think there's someone in Botswana? Yeah. Go, my boy, I hope no cunt in Coventry's making jokes about me. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah Every yeah, culture yeah. and every country <laughs> likes jokes about themselves. Yeah. Every, it's not special. It's But also, no one thinks it's magnanimous. There, There is such an instilled It's only the sense. British that are like, we're the ones that are, yes, are capable of this. There is such... That really <laughs> means, isn't it big of us to laugh at ourselves in front of the help? Yeah. Which, yeah, yeah, which is yeah. what they really fucking mean. I always love well, uh, when I saw... Um, or one of the times I saw... Doug Stanhope, and it's 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 one of the first times I've seen him just destroy a, a British crowd in in such a, bu- a beautiful manner. And he was just saying how he was finding it hard to tour post Bush because previously he goes yeah. to all these countries and gets to go. And this is an old piece, so it's not I'm not ruining a set. I know that's that's a, a yeah. crime, but um, he's saying it's hard to tour as an American post Bush because he used to have so much to complain about and used to be able to to rant, and all the British crowd would be. In, in shock of the idiot that they had in control and all that. And then he said, but then I realised, obviously, you're laughing at us ironically because you've got, like, kings and queens and knights and princesses and, and all this stupid fairy tale bullshit. You, oh, my like, God. Brilliant. Did, brilliant. Did you see that tweet that went around yesterday? I'm just making sure I'm on airplane. That tweet that went a bit viral yesterday saying it? he might only be two, but tell me, Prince... Um, what's the, the newest royal baby? Yeah. Uh, what's his name? Is it George? No, George is the older one, isn't it? Uh, uh, which which one is two? I, I've no idea. Me neither. See, I don't know. I don't they're not relevant. <laughs> they're, they're not, not relevant. They're really not but relevant. But it's very funny that there's the this older. tweet that's gone viral that's gone, he might only be two, but tell me Prince George doesn't already look like a fucking dickhead. <laughs> right? Now, me and my wife are pissing ourselves laughing at this going, could you imagine being a royal a thousand years ago? Yeah. And showing them that tweet, yeah, that that's how derided they are, and they're going, "Oh wow, well, surely is this like an underground movement?" No, it's just some it's bloke. Just everyone, just everyone's going, "Ah, no, look it's at just this some idiot. bloke." Oh right, so like, but he's did done this under a pseudonym, and so it's a cult, it's a movement. And, no, nah. it's just Twitter. What, nah. What's Twitter? Oh, it's just where people get to you know voice their opinions or whatever, and maybe troll some people. <gasps> oh, okay, so like, but he's being charged with treason, right? <laughs> no, no, everyone kind of likes it, thinks it's funny. Like, could you imagine being a royal that? What a cartoon! You just like even only a hundred years ago, yeah. To tell a royal what a cartoon they would become, and, and again, it's just indefinable they their, now. That would blow their minds. It's just indefinable now, like what they are or what the point of any of it is. All, all power has been removed. All, as you can see from that tweet, all reverence has been removed. It's yes. Like, well, what there is, is a this? world that still pays reverence to it, and you never see them. Yeah. Except they turn up sometimes in PR. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at PR and uh, management companies, there's a lot of hyphenated surnames. Yeah, 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 yeah. And there's also a weird... It, again, it's it's crazy that it's still a thing, but the Queen and the Royals sponsor or put their seal of approval on certain products. So, and it's 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 on the back of their... On, on the back of packaging. So, 
there's certain I think it's it's something like Quaker Oats and it's and it will have as approved by HRH or, or something like that. And it's it's on like toilet paper and all sorts of shit. And basically anything that they officially use, I assume it's a sponsor. It's, it's, it's like an endorsement deal. They they have on certain a, a product. Well, you do in wonder the UK. where their money comes from, but then a lot of it is land as well, isn't it? Yeah, I guess so. Do you understand leasehold freehold? Not a hundred percent. No, no. I I I got um the first flat I bought was like a while back, and there was a, it's a lease it's leasehold. I couldn't get my head around like, you. Own it for ninety All right, years. Cool. And I'm like, what do you mean ninety years? I fucking bought it. Yeah. And then there's something to do with well. You have to renew it and all sorts the, of other there's, shit. There's a couple of families that actually own everything, That's it. The, which the, the is so that, antiquated. The thing that got me was like, they were like, right, you own the own the flat, but someone else owns the land it's built on. It's like, what? Well, uh, what? Yeah. <laughs> then what's it doing there? <laughs> yeah. What's my flat doing on their land? That's, and then you look at like you what you have my to pay flat each on their year, land, and it's usually only like a hundred quid or so. Yeah. And you're like, well, why do I even have to pay this? Like. Compared to the price of the flat, how does and, and apparently like they're really expensive to buy. Yeah, and you're like, why would I ever buy it? Le- legit, the the leaseholder of of the flat which I s- still own, um, I haven't heard from in about three years, and I keep writing him letters and stuff and saying, look, I think I owe you money and stuff. I don't know if he's died. <laughs> I'm literally I'm in this this situation. Where Is I'm it like, because there's only again, a handful of people and they've got and they've got all of them? It's confusion over it all. That it's like I don't know what to do i've written him a few letters i don't know if someone could turn up at some point and go you've not paid for three years you don't own this anymore please leave <laughs> it's, 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 petrif- it's genuinely petrifying it's like i've no no one understands that absolute nonsense um so, so where did you gr- grow up and wh- and 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 where did you kind of move around because again you're You've you've you seem to have toured and gigged the most in the UK. So, what was your kind of movements from? Well, actually, I grew up in Perth, Western Australia. Yeah, uh, as a kid. So after the Flip Wilson thing, I became obsessed with comedy. And from yeah. the age of nine, I was one of those rare people that anytime anyone said, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" I said, "A comic." No, I'm just going to be a comic. That's it. That's and there was nowhere at that time really for me to practice that. Yeah, which is why I get frustrated when people talk about like the post boom period in England and oh, we're not getting. First of all, people had it too good for too long here, as far as I'm concerned. There was a lot of lazy motherfuckers that were just dining out on the same 20 minutes for years. Yeah. And I think you really need to have had to travel across the world and eat a bunch of shit to fully appreciate the job. And I think that's why they're having a resurgence in America right now as well, is because in the 90s, the only people that got into it were people that had to. Yeah, yeah. Because they were born to do it, whatever. That's why we've got a post-boom period because there was a whole period of time where people thought it was a shortcut to presenting or something else. Yeah. All right. And it's it's the great thing that I went and had Stuart Lee on the podcast. Oh, I had he's, him on the other he, week. He, he summed it up perfectly. He said, my goal is to keep doing this and then die. Yeah. Like, like this, the, the, there was such a period where stand-up was a route to a TV show, to presenting, to acting, to writing, to being in films and everything else. He was like, I've realised that the thing that I really like is doing stand up and and the thing that I've got control over and yeah. can put everything in and and make it what I want it is doing stand so I just I just want to do that yeah because I mean look at his series that everyone loved yeah and there was funny the final series as well really had like a nice touch of self awareness yeah or was it series four yeah yeah I think where he actually went after the fan base I yep. asked him as well he goes bunch of comedians call my fan base nothing but cunts and when I had him on the show and I said. That was just me, wasn't it? And he goes, yeah, yeah it was just you. <laughs> I said, I'm so sorry I'm not more famous. <laughs> I would have loved a fake rift between you yeah. and I. That would have worked yeah. out well for me. But, but on, I think it was on the last episode that, because in, in the little segments, he'd, he'd, he'd talked to Chris Morris, wouldn't he? And they were doing this weird interview yes. thing. And on the last one, when I've, 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 I've saved it on my, on my recording boxing because it just this, had me in tears so, this yeah is, this this, has, this is this that really makes this, me laugh but they can't deny this is this but even this that happened, show that this is, is this that, <laughs> that acclaimed that appreciated that that passionate of fan base yeah because you know it was like back in the day when uh 10 million people tuned in to watch modern family or whatever yeah, it was not yeah. modern family what's the one my family the shit yeah yeah, the yeah, yeah yeah my family yeah but only two hundred thousand people 
tuned in to watch the bush. Yeah. But back in the day, the reason the bush was so successful is every single one of those people that watched the bush bought the DVD. Yeah. No one bought DVDs of my family. Yeah, yeah. Now, DVD is dead now. So we don't know what the next so, thing is. So kind of t- but it, I love takes, his point there. It takes there the power of, back s- s- slightly, doesn't yes, it? Yes, well, so even with a passionate, devoted fan base, yeah. you can still get fired. Yeah. So he's right. that. But again, the, the beautiful thing there was it stuck to his belief because all he did for his show was stand-up. It was just him each week to like, well, it's not like he did it and, and he got and rid of that as well. in, Yeah, it's not like he turned it into this, here's my bits and then here's some news and all this kind of thing. It was like... It's him doing what you do or, or what you see when you go and see Which him live. Which is an incredible amount of writing. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he got enough credit for that. Yeah, I love it. Of just how hard it is to write that much stand-up in a year. Yeah. Well, actually, that's that's not entirely true. Like, people always marvel at, like, how we here on the British circuit, we go to the Edinburgh Festival and... and, and Americans get so blown away that, that you come they? on with it's just but uh, it's a new well they hold up Chris yeah. Rock and Louis C.K. going this guy's right a new hour a year it's like it's a fucking year <laughs> yeah and it's a fucking hour <laughs> yeah I generally I generate about three hours a year and yeah. discard whatever yeah only because I'm kind of forced to as well because it's such a tiny yeah such a devoted fan base that. If I give any one of them an excuse not to see me twice, <laughs> yeah. you know, I'm broke. <laughs> you, you know the exact people that are going to come each time, so you've, you've just got to make sure you've you got must to have get that. This. Well, I mean, you're, you're kind of on the cusp of counterculture, aren't you? But yeah, it's kind you of, announce you're doing something, it sells out like that. Yeah, or people seem to get into it's. It's nice because... The fact is I've just taken like two, three years off from doing anything live. So I've right. got this book tour coming out. And again, it's weird because I'm doing them as live podcasts, so it's still not a gig gig. But it's kind of nice to have that gap because I experienced kind of of what we're talking about here, the year before I stopped doing everything for a bit. Because I've, I've always toured, we've had this amazing fan base, hugely supportive, and ticket sales are always strong. But similarly... I'm touring constantly and there's a, l- a lot of opportunities to see me. And I've got a guy on, on my label, Sage Francis, who's, who's one of my favourite rappers, American rapper, and he hadn't been over for four or five years. And he came over and I did merch at his shows and all this. And watching the insane excitement of the fact that they've not had the chance for so long to see him was a really interesting thing because I've loved all my shows. I always think it's great that we get s- sold-out gigs, but... I think there has to be something in the psyche that you know that if you miss this one, I'll be about again in two months. It's a different psyche and experience. So that was kind of my motivation to so go, how much I'm going to be off for a bit, man. gigging is like in front of people with folded arms that have been dragged by someone else, or is it just devotees? It tends to be devotees. It tends to be people who are, are really into it. There's a lot of beards in the crowd. There's a lot of... Right. <laughs> but again, they're, they're always like up for it and rowdy. I've lucked out because as we touched on starting off in the, the in the or starting off to build a name in the the spoken word scene then the bigger things we did were more a music based but then i grew up into punk and hardcore and stuff like that so when i did a solo record it was more guitars and a, a mosh pit so we've got this fan base oh wait so you do spoken word with a musical background so i started off doing spoken word but then i started working with a guy called dan lasac and we just made hip-hop essentially uh, some of the pieces were originally spoken word pieces and some of them were new just just hip-hop and then i started doing it over with like a live band but all of this kind of coming together just means uh, when i gig this there's such a varied cr- a crowd you've got punk kids you've got rap kids you've got all sorts and it's why i'm saying this jokingly to mates the other day there's a big now, thing speak to now. Me like i'm a 45 year old dumb white guy yeah now is <laughs> is that code is that racial code what what punk kids you've got rap kids no no got... no just of of, of all creeds and, and colors but, but, but punk kids there in their in their chains or rip shirts and hip-hop kids in their right. in their snapbacks and so on and so you're like a, so a blend of genres yeah kind of i think there's something going on general like generationally that I am left behind. Because I've been working on a new bit about yeah. black people don't get a positive intellectual stereotype. Right, yeah. Right? Their positive stereotype is they've got big dicks and they can run fast. And yeah. I'm like, that's horses. That's not even people. Yeah. <laughs> but from doing black gigs, the one thing I've learned is they can read people. Yeah. 
uh, and I was just thinking about this on the way in as well, and this is probably generational, not racial, is also something else that that is a positive black intellectual stereotype is they have massive uh, vocal comprehension and recall. Yeah. Because if you, were to, if you were to get up and do slam poetry to hip-hop, I'd have a hard time keeping up. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like even even a banda man, which is like this white Irish kid yeah, yeah. rapping away. He and I sometimes do a thing where I do a five minute bit and he raps about it. Kills kids are standing on their chairs, waving their arms about. Now, a I'm partial hearing, right? B I'm forty five. <laughs> yeah. C I'm Australian. I kind of like barbecuing. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so the place is going nuts. Everyone's got like this rhythmic kind of. Yeah, uh, like wave happening around the room. Yeah, I'm grinning from ear to ear, but I have no fucking idea what's happening. <laughs> I have no idea what he said. I don't. So their level of comprehension and and their speed of re, uh, of comprehension and retention, yeah, is immense. And I think, do you think millennials have that, or do you think fans of hip hop and yeah, what I you do? Th- I think it is. I think it is. Do they sing along? I think it comes from a hip hop thing. Yeah, I'll have people singing along, and again, it'll be. F- stuff but again i th- i think that is something it's people that are fans of that culture it is that comprehension it's that quick it's that trying to get all that information yeah in at once let's test it and can take we, it all in do we have the bi- the ability to do this can you play me something <laughs> that you know word for word or play me something that's there's this recent <laughs> that you recalled immediately like you'd be able to translate for me and I've not got any way of playing. Although we're in a big, exciting studio, I've not got any way of playing anything. That would be of, hilarious. Of, 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 I can can try and look and see if I've. I'm I've doing a show at this year's Edinburgh Festival um, <laughs> with uh, uh, an Indigenous comedian called Craig Quartermain, and uh, this is, I think, where the podcast really came into its own. Yeah, is that the one dynamic that was most difficult for me to traverse was my own. Yeah, because white Australia and black Australia are fucking miles apart. Still. Right. Still, yeah, like you go to South Africa, you have a hard time feeling holier than thou because at least they had the balls to give their separatism a name, right? Yeah, and this guy and I got on like a house on fire, yet there was just mountains of historical shit for us to get to, yeah, uh, to get through. I'm everything he's supposed to hate, yeah. I went to a fucking, I went to a public school, uh, I I grew up in Mosman Park, I, uh, you know, I'm a a white 45 year old dude, and and there's a chasm between us. And because we, because of comedy, I think comedy uh, builds bridges, men's fences. I think it does so much more than, which is why I think political correctness gets in the way a great deal because I've lived through it once before. And people will, it's cyclical. People will find out rather quickly that political correctness is a very neat way for to never change what you do, just change what you say. Yeah. And actually yeah. conservatism does very, very well in that environment. It can become more... Here's the code that we use to continue going about the Absolutely. way we're going about. Absolutely. Rather the, than here's here's what's wrong. Let's change. The it more PC the times, the more yeah. right wing the society. Yeah. It's just how it happens. Yeah. And also, I heard something brilliant recently from this was a right wing gay guy that most of what he says is contrarian and bullshit. But yeah, he did make a fantastic point. Is the reason that the young generation is so PC right now is we all grew up on Nirvana and Marilyn Manson. Yeah. They all grew up on Bieber. Yeah. And hey girl, all your dreams are going to happen. Yeah. Uh so there's something in that that they need everything to be flowery. Whereas yeah. we grew up with everything being rather candid and realistic. And the acceptance that it's it's not all flowery and yes. not all, yeah. Or, or, you know, react to that. But this idea that you need to spend your life doused in cotton wool, yeah. that's a very spoiled society. Yeah. Um and it's you know it, it's just not realistic. So <clears throat> he and I, <laughs> I, I can't wait to do the show because uh, he he he's coming out to Edinburgh to do it with me. He and I got on famously, yeah. And I've never had that before, where we couldn't just be just two comedians. There was a mountain of shit that we had to get through, yeah. And some very funny stuff happened, and we put on an all indigenous show, and it was definitely there was there was a catharsis there. But he and I in a car is like a fucking buddy cop movie because <laughs> he goes to me, have you ever listened to Naughty by Nature? Yeah. Like after a while he gave up Yeah. because <laughs> I remember Patience came on the radio and I started singing along to it and he's like, what the fuck? 
And I'm like, shut up, mate. Sings to the white man. It sings. It sings to the... And he's talking over the top of him. I'm going, never interrupt Guns N' Roses. And he goes, oh, yeah, do you like Naughty by Nature? Right? And, and I went, what? Who's that? And like, this was like about the fifth hip-hop band he'd listed yeah. to me. And he just went... Fair enough. <laughs> just th- threw in the towel. Is, you, is it naughty by nature? Am I even getting yeah, it right? Yeah, yeah. I kept on calling it naughty but nice. Yeah, no, that it's is driving fucking mental. It's it's naughty by nature. Um, I want to talk about Edinburgh Fringe because that's a huge part. Again, it's it, it's another place I've seen you, but I do want to still get round to what was your journey to the UK because again. It, from what I know, you've 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 toured the most here, it seems, and or or I've, built a name the most here. Well, my dad's English. Oh, your dad's English, right? So I can, so I got a UK passport, and obviously Fantastic. that versus living in Perth, yeah, where there's nowhere to get up. So, there is now. It's like six nights a week there, which is really weird for such a small country town. Almost. So how long did you kind of persist in 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 attempting to to to, to become a stander or to to, to to live in the stand-up scene in Australia uh, before you went. None whatsoever. Let's try, let's try England. There was nowhere to do it. So what yeah. happened was my sister was in a car accident and she lost her husband and her kid. Oh, wow. And I was 19 at the time. Yeah. I had the I have the worst first gig story ever. Yeah. So, uh, and it, it's funny, I was talking to, um, who was I talking to? He was saying that when you were young, you seemed fearless. And that was because I had a fairly wealthy background. Yeah. Uh, uh, but boy, did that not pan out. Uh, but anyway, I had a fairly wealthy background and also I grew up in a place where stand-up seemed impossible. Yeah. So actually the fearlessness that people used to attribute to me was recklessness. Yeah. But also, thirdly, <laughs> thirdly, I had the worst first gig in the history of comedy. What? I've been I mean, really, really, yeah. like everyone talks about a bad first gig. Yeah. I then tell them mine and they go, hands down. All right. Not even close. So I'm 19. My sister's been in a car accident. She's lost her husband and her kid. I go and see my sister, my hero, in traction, and I see the the carcass of the baby. And I think to myself, hey, I've always wanted to do – what a good time to start doing (laughs) stand-up, right? And so there's open mic nights in the UK. It's 1990. Political correctness is at its peak, right? I'm a young, white Australian male. Everyone already fucking hates me. And I'm the worst of the worst yeah. in that environment. It's a bringer show, you know, where people, it's open mics and, and everyone brings friends. It's a very supportive environment, right? Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So uh, to make matters worse, while this was going on, my best mate back home fucked my girlfriend, right? Oh, so I, damn. and also too young, too angry. I also was a fan of Sam Kinison. Yeah. Uh, and uh, the following, like, year or two, I was to discover Bill Hicks. Yeah. Uh, so angry white comics were... Uh, but also I uh, was massive Eddie Murphy fan, massive Richard Pryor fan. Yep. So it was either black American comics or angry white comics. And That's it's all confrontational all and confrontational. very self-confident. Exactly. So <laughs> I am also the, this this, these, this girl has done this to me. I'm too young and also getting very, very – I'm getting a good head start on a very alcoholic career. Yeah. Right? So I'm hammered. I'm also not emotionally balanced or developed enough to – to tell the difference between that girl doing it to me and all women, yeah. right? So I get on stage, I'm furious at women. I've just got all this hateful shit just talking about how women are shit at giving head and I'm screaming at these women in the front row going, show me how you give head on the microphone. Show me, show me. With no skill or charisma whatsoever, yeah. right? Everyone's just wincing, right? I'm shoving a microphone in a girl's face. I'm also hammered. Eventually, the... And again, because of being a white male Australian at that point, they're not even going to have the expectation that he's going somewhere with this. No, I, like, I wasn't. No, he's horrible. This is this is a horrible human. This is horrible. This human. isn't this. this we're is not a, waiting for this to, to to switch and be genius. This is just. This is an angry, drunk, spoiled white <laughs> yeah, kid. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> with, a, with a broken heart. Yeah, and so they. Uh, so eventually, the MC waves me off stage, and I walk to the back of the room to the sound of my own feet. To make matters worse, my parents were in, right? Because right. I'd always been the funny, funniest one. And yeah. when this tragedy happened, they went, we need you to come over and cheer us up. To which I thought, if I can pull that off, stand-up's going to be yeah. a doddle. So I walked to the back of the room and my parents are in videotaping the entire thing. And as I walked past my dad, I said, please tell me you, uh, you stopped recording that. And he goes, and I quote, he goes, son, I stopped recording the moment the first tear of shame hit my cheek. <laughs> God damn. 
God damn. Not only a rough crowd hostile situation, but family there as well. Family there looking to be cheered up after being in hospital. Yeah. Uh, Obviously, it's a pressure that I couldn't uh, live up to. So so what in the world made you not stop stand up immediately then and never return? <laughs> because everywhere's up from there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Nothing, I guess so. Anytime uh, to this day people say like when you get booed off or you seem to be yelled at uh you don't really seem bothered and I'm like I made my dad cry at the first one. What the fuck do I care about strangers? First try. Yeah. <laughs> first yeah. attempt. First attempt. <laughs> This is nothing. Yeah. So also versus that, it's I'm also from the world's most secluded capital. Yeah. Where, you know, it was a suicide capital of this is pre-internet. This is back when you had to get a plane to Melbourne to get a plane overseas. Yeah. Right? Singapore is closer. Wow. Uh, to Perth than the rest of Australia is. The the other That's cities crazy. in Australia. Yeah. So it seemed pretty impossible. Yeah. Uh, so then to all of a sudden wind up in a place that has open mic nights and just a place where I can get up and practice. Yeah. That's a doddle. Again, it that's makes a doddle to me. A complete sense. And it, it draws some comparison again. I, in early gigs now, I, in reviews, people would talk about how comfortable I looked on stage. And the fact is I started off playing on street corners and I never a, a, a busking because I felt that changed the mentality of, of the audience. Uh, if, you're, if you're asking for money, they're instantly like, ah, oh, fuck this guy. Do you know what I mean? So as always, I do these different ones, but I do it in town centres and in places that didn't w- want to hear you. So the fact I'm inside doing a gig with people who may not want to hear me, but they want to hear something, it's yes. like, this is heaven. It is This heaven. is great. Turning <laughs> up, not having to win an audience over yeah. is amazing. It's it's. I think there was a time when people used to say that stand-up or spoken word was the most intimate performance. Yeah. And it's not anymore podcasting is. Yeah. But I still I still maintain that, and again, podcasting has taken over in, in this as well, but I've always felt that a spoken word, stand-up, and rap in a way because of the immediacy of it have always been the greatest artistic avenues to address issues in culture because they're, they're so immediate. Yeah. You, you, you can go to a stand-up gig the night of Brexit or whatever else and have people reacting and writing and speaking and being involved. Whereas if it's a song or a film or anything else, it takes a certain amount of time. But I do think there's of- a lack of balanced view in stand-up in the UK. Yeah. There's definitely a lack of balanced view. And the reason that UKIP did so well and the reason that, first of all, people were sold in, being sold a product that didn't exist. Yeah. yeah. It's amazing what people think they're going to get now that Brexit's happened. Yeah. Fucking my wife, fucking menstruating vaginas. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. thought I thought we voted periods out. Yeah, uh, they. Uh, I mean, also, it's, I think, it's looking like it's happening on a, a larger scale in America as well. well as Again, they say, there's the, the Trump filter thing bubble, of just the news Trump filter going, bubble that I'm going to stop crime or I'm going to stop this. Like just making exactly the same as you get, just making claims and stuff that it's not possible. Yet, yeah, yeah, I'm going to because the the goal now is to get past the, that post. It's well, not to achieve the things you've stated. It's to get that thing, right, I'm in power now. I can do what I want. But also, I think there's such a... The, the, in comedy in particular, like, this happens in the UK, and it's one of the few places it happens, is if you discuss another culture, it's deemed an insult. Yeah. Right? Uh, and they're like, oh, well, that's racist. And you're like, what do you mean? Well, you mentioned another culture. And it's like, no, that's kind of racist. Yeah. Because that's presuming that other cultures are less than. It's like whenever anyone says, I think comedy should punch up. I'm like, really? Well, then give me the long list of people that you think are beneath you. Yeah. There's a certain pomposity there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And one of the reasons that I think UKIP did so well, and it's funny that everyone says, oh, you caused all this trouble and then you stepped down. Are we kind of glad he stepped down? That was... was, was, Isn't that a good thing? I was discussing this in... In an interview the other day, that it's crazy that you tell anyone on the left, if you could go back a year and say, Cameron's going to be gone and and Farage is going to be gone, yeah. they would assume that we've, we're hitting a political a utopia and the world is going to be perfect and okay again. Yeah. The fact is, you couldn't convince them of a scenario where Cameron will be gone and Farage will be gone and we'll all be feeling like we're screwed and in the biggest mess in the world. It's... Well, it's I crazy. think the, the, the problem with the, uh, you know, I, I consider myself left wing. Mm. Uh, the problem with the left, and I criticize as, and it's interesting as well, is that I sometimes get deemed a conservative comic. Right. And I'm like, on what issue? Right. On what issue yeah. am I conservative? What the fuck are you talking about? 
And it's because they confuse criticizing the left with being conservative. And that's the problem with that's why we don't get shit done. It's because we're in our own way. And, we're too and, busy. and we remain in our, our bubbles. When we're not accountable. Socially. We're finger pointers. Yeah. So Nigel Farage is a fucking convenience for us mm. because then you get to point at those mustard trousers and go, that's where racism lies. Yeah. And then you never need, never need own anything. Now, you ask anyone in this country uh, of any other race or, or you ask on the comedy circuit, black comics, yeah. ask black comics who the most racist people are and they say it's the shouty lefty cunts. Yeah. Without a doubt, because they're selling a better version of themselves than the one that exists. Yeah. And yeah. it's just all Farage this, Farage that. And fact of the matter is, we made him. Yeah. By conveniently voicing your outrage, outrage at that preposterous cunt. Mm. Right? You were a walking advert for him. Trump has had more coverage than any other presidential candidate in history. Yeah. And half of it is outrage. Yeah, and it's like you are a bumper sticker for that motherfucker. Yeah, uh, it's, it's 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 a strange comparison, but I feel, and it's it's what the Daily Mail learnt quite early on. But X Factor is the is is, is my comparison for all this because X Factor I think is one of the most genius bits of marketing ever because every week millions of people who, who love it tune in and tweet about how much they love it. At the same time, millions of people hate it tune in and tweet about how much they hate it. Yeah. They're doing the same thing. They're tuning That's in wrestling. and they're talking about it. Exactly. And it's 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 the same with um, the Daily Mail in that they will just – it's officially the biggest news website in the world. It is. I guarantee that more than 50% of that is people who hate it. Of posting course. links to it, complaining also about be- it, moaning. And it's because like, of that. They've, they've become the biggest because they go – this will get tons of people angry and they'll all come and look here and they'll all click and it all adds up. And-, and anyone in the news cycle or in the news industry will tell you that actually the Daily Mail reports stuff first because yeah. they have the biggest resources and often uh, what we consider and, left-leaning papers are and reporting. They're not, on what- and they're not too concerned on researching it. There's, yeah. <laughs> there's that too. <laughs> oh, no, no. <laughs> they're kind of happy to just go. They have a wealth of information. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's filtered through their yeah. bubble. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, like a lot of the time like uh, what we consider left-leaning papers or or uh, mid-to-left, are re- are just reacting to Daily Mail because yeah. they got there first because they've got the biggest resources. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's why I've never really done any Daily Mail jokes. You ever see a comedian you're like, you just wanted to get away with telling a racist joke yeah. by pretending a Daily Mail reader said it. Yeah, yeah. And then you you see him at, like, Latitude, all-white room, and then the Daily Mail reported, blah, 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 brown people have an extra toe in their foot. And everyone's like, bah, ha, ha, imagine reading the Daily Mail. And I'm like, fuck. Yeah, you white cunts. You see, it's it, it, it's exactly that. I've I've got a, a latitude is where I did one of my 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 biggest and favourite gigs ever. Yet I still feel uncomfortable at latitude because it's so posh and yeah. so middle class. And again, ironically, it's so white. It's weird that 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 level of whiteness can make you uncomfortable as a white person. Yeah, but it is. It's just. It's, it's, it's just that. It's funny how, like, because uh, class is everything here. Although from the outside looking in, you do realise that Scroobius Pip yeah. is the poshest name you could have come up and, with. And what I love is it is people also think, obviously I'm really well read because I got it from a poem. I first read the name <laughs> Scroobius Pip, and that's, that, that's what I was, was going to say. I told you know this on Jericho's is? podcast. I first read the name Scroobius Pip. I was working in a record store, and on the, on the counter we had some extra, like, like add-on sales, and one was a little book of dogs' names. And Scroobius Pip was listed there really? as a potential d- d- dog's you know, the, name. I then went and read the poem and liked it and all that. But people assume I'm this this hugely well read. It's like it was a little book of dogs. I poems thought you were a posh was, dude. Yeah, <laughs> I did because uh, the the test is the third. Stick the third on the end of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If, it's, if it sounds <laughs> if it sounds legitimate, legitimate. Scroobius Pip the third definitely sounds um, like uh, an American guy <laughs> making up an English bloke. <laughs> <laughs> a stereotypical English gentleman. Um, I'm going to have to have to wrap things up soon because we're going. I only got the studio till half two, but Wonderful. I do want to talk about the Fringe because for every comedian who's worked in Britain, it seems to be a huge thing. And I know you're someone that's that's been there for years and years and it's years. Like 20, it's 20 years since my first one. That's absolutely amazing. And 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 how is that? Because wasn't it? I was I was looking on on Wiki, and I'm sure it was. I'm sure you'd been doing it. T- 10 years when you won. No, um, more than that. Was it more than that? When you won the... Um, seven, uh, yeah. wait, 96, 97. 
it was my 12th show or 11th show. Wow. And I'd been close before yeah. to being nominated. There was like about three times that I was number six and there was five people nominated because I always piss off someone yeah. on yeah. a panel. As I, I love how they work because there is, again, there's, it never feels like it's purely down to the funniest show. Well, there's a here's how that thing works. Political, and, again, it comes back to a level of, of political correctness at points. Not there's, necessarily. There's certain areas and topics that they seem to be a bit... It's not so much that. It's that if you're a stand-up, there's no way you can do... It has to be multimedia. Mm. There has to be Pavlovian elements. Right. It has to be a show. Yeah. And the reason for that is, as a stand-up, 30 nights a week, just you talking, just you talking into a mic, Yeah. you're going to get a flat audience. Yeah. Right? No one outside of being a comedian can see past a flat audience. Yeah. Right? Whereas if you've got tricks and little shiny things and, and everyone says, like, multimedia shows are a crutch, they are. They're harder to put together. They're, they're more work to fine-tune. But once you've got them, you can turn up to work in any condition. It's got all the, the show that won, I could have been half asleep and that show would yeah. have still, because it was a laser beam. Because there was dance numbers, there was building to crescendos, there were moments where I could take a breath and consider how I'm doing. Yeah. Right? When you're just talking and you're like, ah, I got the tone of that wrong. Yeah. Essentially, for the next 15 minutes, you're in a monologue, is thinking ahead how you can gradually change the tone. Readdress that. With no one noticing. Yeah. All the while, you're never really present in the bits that you're performing. Yeah. Whereas in a multimedia show, if you've got sections that build to crescendo and you know that there are applause breaks, etc., there are about anything up between 8 to 20 points in that show where you can take a breather and think about what you're doing and how yeah. you're doing it. That's um, interesting, though. So, that's why stand-up so, never so, wins. So what are you drawn towards now, kind of knowing that formula? I'm you, on the free you, fringe. Yeah. So I don't have a great deal of choice. Yeah. And it has to be me and a microphone. Yeah, and that's that. Uh, and that's that. But there's a couple of points where I can maybe have a breather. But it's I also – the thing I love about the free fringe is on Mondays it'll probably be a wrestling-related show yeah. and on Thursdays I'm recording the podcast Yeah, because I can do that Yeah, because I now have a space and it's whatever I want to do with it. Yeah, that's perfect. Whereas if you've, you're putting a lot of money into something and you're putting a lot of money into a venue and there's it people spending be, money on your posters, presented it's a show. Every, yeah. You have to have a show. So uh, when I was up there, I've, I've done the Fringe once in 2011. I adore it as a as, a, as an experience. But one of the things I, I loved the most that year, and I went twice, I think, was you and Colt commentating over old wrestling. Oh, I, I loved, can't believe how well that show's I done. loved the beauty and simplicity of it. That you, you how it's not a TV he's show He's literally yet. just got a laptop and he's going through his hard drive at points going, oh, I'll show you this. How do we not have a TV show? It's absolutely amazing. It, it explains to people, oh, what is it? We and it's always and watch, quite late. Yeah, oh, it's, 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 it's 10.35. It's yeah. Brendan Burns and Cole Cabana. Now we've neatened it up to do comedy and commentary to bad wrestling matches. Yeah. So it's us and a guest, and we sit there and we watch wrestling clips off the internet, but all yeah. the weird shit, or when things fuck up. Yeah. Uh, it's like bad promos or guys that are particularly coked up. And stuff that I've never seen. And I it's like a bit of a that show. as well. And literally everything you played and showed, I was like, I've never seen any. I, Remember I, how I, said I was ready for it to be some of the ones I'm familiar, like some of the classic old, I look at this. You know, just remember, weird things that happen. Remember how like, I said you've got to come up with something you could do in your sleep? Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's our fourth year running now, and everyone that does it loves it. Yeah. It's it's for wrestling fans and non-wrestling fans alike. Yeah. It's basically, if you're a wrestling fan, it's the show you wish existed. Yeah. Where you get to hang out with a comic and a wrestler being funny about wrestling. Yeah. And if I wasn't in the show, I'd be in the audience every day. I was going to say it's true because I brought a mate along who wasn't a wrestling fan. And just, he was, again, we've gone to say a lot of things. I was like, no, I really want to, I've heard this is good. And then, yeah, it's exactly People that. It's just love ridiculous. It. It's, it's, it's the funniest late night show going. It's guaranteed it'll kill. How is it having um, a comedy partner that, because again, the fringe is lovely and it, but it can be quite rowdy. It can be quite drunk. How is it having a comedy partner up there that can beat the show? the shit out of anyone in the crowd. Because that was it's got to be a kind of a, a beautiful advantage. That, to be honest... At one of the ones I was at, there was someone that either kept requesting something or kept doing something, but it wasn't... It was an ICW it night. It wasn't that. That, that engaging 
entertainment or whatever. And again, it was quite good that Colt could be like... Well, to be honest... Or more that you would threaten people with Colt. Colt wouldn't threaten people. It's more that you'd say... But to be honest... I'm sending Colt out in a minute. At an arts festival... (laughs) I'm kind of jockey. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you know what sure. I mean? Never mind Cole. I'll yeah. fuck you up. Yeah. You yeah, fucking satchel carrying cunt. Yeah. It's perfect. Well, <laughs> don't worry about the wrestler. Worry about the fucking angry Aussie. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm, I'm going to cl- cl- close this off because this will be going out kind of mid August, I think. So awesome. where So, where can people catch you at the fringe? What different things are you doing? So, I will be at the. Thank you so much, man. And we're going to try and work something out. Yeah. We've got to get done white. Oh, we're trying to f- figure out how to do to do something because we were trying to line up the, the days I'm up at the fringe in August but I think m- my show clashes but we'll figure something out well, we'll not that, everyone keeps saying to me you got to put Dumb White Guy on the network yeah yeah well let's look let's let's, let's see what we, we can do yeah 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 I'm sure we I can I think it's a very easy bedfellows isn't yeah. it I'm glad are you relieved we got on yeah, we got I'm there in the end. Very we relieved don't have to we got on. Requesting anymore. I was <laughs> and, like, and again, oh, I so hope he's not a cunt. It's going to be <laughs> everyone saying you guys are going to great. So I'm I love delicious. that. I had that with Jim Smallman as really uh, as well because Jim, I, I went at him on here. I'd heard of progress. I'd heard all this hype about it, and I hadn't caught it yet. And I was unaware that Jim has been to s- see me live loads of times and was a fan. Oh, he would be. And sure. he was was I was saying to me now we're mates. He said, I got home that night. And I said to the missus, I was like, oh, I was just so glad he wasn't a cunt. Because it's like, it's, it's one of the things that if you're into someone, then, and you never know. And if they are a cunt, that's kind of okay. Because you don't have to all get on with everyone. Everyone doesn't have to med, a mesh. But, but it's, it does it's a make relief you ask when questions it about yourself when everyone says you guys are going to get on great. Yeah. <laughs> then you don't. Then you're like, oh, I couldn't. You think uh, I'm like that prick? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, uh, you know, we are the company we keep. So it's Liquid Annex Rooms at 6.15 every day. And uh, what I love about that is it really filters out the arseholes. You yeah. like the show, you pay me. Yeah. Didn't like the show, don't pay me. But you don't get to argue with me afterwards. And and the free fringe is an amazing thing. And 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 the year I was up there again, I, I mentioned him a lot. There's a guy called Rob Alton who always does the free fringe. And there's a lot of people I saw that it was so, some of the best stuff I saw. And I think it could be because, as you said, because of that freedom, because it not having to be this this polished for everyone show. If if that makes sense, you can take more of a risk because you're you not having to, to be yes. There's a there is a real element if you're at like the bigger venues. There's a real Radio Four folded armed crowd. Yeah, yeah, and to be honest, what they consider avant garde, yeah, or left field, is really, really yeah. suburban. Yeah. yeah, it's very pedestrian. Yeah, you know, it's like uh, you you go to the assembly rooms. I remember Clive Anderson opens with who I like. I know him, right? Yeah, but Clive opens with a joke. Uh, I know some of you are thinking that William Hager's let himself go. If I opened, and everyone goes, <laughs> what an incredible yeah, 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 wit. Yeah, yeah. That's He just used the comedy staple of I look like blank and he has let himself go. Yeah. If I opened with that, I yeah. would get destroyed as a hack. But yeah. because he's like a, you know, because he's, he's a Radio 4 guy and he's an ex-lawyer, everyone's like, oh, what an incredible wit. No, that was a really hack line. Yeah. yeah. If I opened, I would get destroyed if I opened yeah. with that as something yeah. I look like blank and he's let himself go. Yeah. So anyway, there's that crowd that actually don't really know a whole lot about comedy and they yeah. don't really want to dig very deep for subtext, which is why I think also wrestling fans make awesome comedy fans. Yeah. Because particularly indie wrestling fans. I don't know, do you find this at your – is there a crossover with you yeah. as well? There yeah. must be. Yeah, there is. Is because they're used to things not being what they appear. Yeah. They're, they know when you're working heel. Yeah. Then they know when <laughs> yeah. you're working babyface, and they are used to looking for subtext, and they willfully suspend disbelief. Yeah. That not everything is, and it's true. they it's love it when it happens. Yeah. And and they just they instinctively get nuance. They really do. They they yeah. they understand stand up, which is why everyone always says why stand up and wrestling becoming so intertwined. It's like, well, because they already were. We just didn't know. We're the same people. Yeah. It's love from strangers. And and so many wrestlers are going into their spoken word tours, which are stand-up tours and storytelling tours. And it's completely instinctive for them. Yeah. Because they tell stories for a living. Yeah. Think about it. We have have bits. They have segments. We have, you know, uh, like we build a crescendo, like to bits. At the end of the bits, they have high spots. Yeah. We have closers. They have finishing moves. Yeah. Uh, it's the same structure and it's the same also um, mindset. Again, love from strangers, yeah. usually down to pair, 
poor parenting. Yeah. <laughs> the the lifestyle is the same. Yeah. On the road. And whereas they, you know, whereas also when we start out, we go through public humiliation. They go through physical torment. And yeah. it's all to get a reaction from strangers. Yeah. Albeit, and sometimes they don't care if it's positive or negative. Yeah. And I don't think yeah. stand-ups that ever. So it's 6.15, free fringe. It's called, it's called Dumb White Guy. It's not the actual podcast. It's basically myself. Uh, it, it's me talking about black-white relations in Australia and in the world in general right now, which oh. I know sounds diabolical coming from me, but I try my best not to I like be it. I'm going to try and make it along. And, and where can people catch uh, you and Colt? Colt Brandon Burns and Colt Cabana will be at 10.35 every night at the Pleasance Dome. Beautiful. Every night. And uh, you ah. You book early as well because I think we're just going to be rammed this year. Yeah, I went to one, um, and then and the second one I went to, I had to hit Colt up and say, "Can you squeeze me in?" Because and he already it's, knew it's you. sold out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, "Why don't you come to our in. show?" And you went and Cabana, and I said, "I might be doing Scroobius Pip. I'll uh, I'll plug it." And he goes, "I know the guy." I'm like, yeah. What? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Look at him yeah. making friends without me. The mongrel. <laughs> Unbelievable. Well, thank you very much. For Anyone listening on. from Comedy Central? Or anything like that. God damn it. Cabana and I. It's a golden show. The clip show. show it yeah. makes so much sense. And also, he and I have gotten good. And what, and, and what is, again, it's, it's a, a, double act, it's we've a gotten staple good, of, we? yeah, it's a staple of a affordable TV now to do a clip show. I know. It's a fucking clip show. I can't show. believe it's no like, one's not... knocking down our door. Well, I'm sure they, that, that they will be soon. Thank you very much, sir. And I look forward to catching up in Thank Edinburgh Thank you so much well. for having me. I'm glad that we finally did it, eh? Cheers, man. There you go. See, we could have talked for hours and hours and hours, but we were on a tight schedule in that studio um, because we were all running late and whatnot, so we had to keep it brief. But it was lovely to chat to Brendan. Um, You can still catch him and Colt at the Edinburgh Fringe, so just check them out and support. I'm going to be back next week with Mr. Marcus Brigstock, another one that I recorded up at the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. So, yeah, see you next week. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out at the French Open for a chance to win a Grand Slam title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. See the action unfold as legends fight for glory and new rivalries emerge. Daily live coverage begins Monday, May 20th, with match replays on demand so you never miss a moment. From the first serve to the final point, Roland Garros promises unforgettable moments and new chapters in tennis history. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens.